Our fathers were always meant to be our primary guides into the masculine structure of the world. They are to be our first experience of the heroic, the strong man, the wise man, and the noble man altogether. They were to strike the masculine fire in us both by their verbal affirmation and by their active engagement. This is the way God seems to have set up the created order. Here's another way to put it. Our fathers were meant to be icons of the living God, reflecting his fatherhood in a way they engaged their sons. Our relationships with our fathers were to be that sure stepping stone to connect to God, the great father of all. Now here's a final way to put it. There is an otherliness to masculinity that a boy intuitively senses. This is why a father can feel so heroic to him. He needs his father to help him embrace that otherliness so that he can fully separate from his mother. Now we may taste these glimpses of all of these truths, but sadly, this is not the world we live in by and large. We live in the world of the fallen and the broken, tainted by sin, infected by shame. Fathers that truly act as heroic guides of their sons are a distinct reality, but they're an exceptional one. What so many sons experience instead is something quite different, what I have learned to call the violent or silent fathers. Now, the violent father engages his son, but in a way that's abusive or destructive, verbally and sometimes physically. The silent father simply disengages, offering neither affirmation nor positive engagement. The son is left to figure out masculinity on his own. Without the help of other men, these sons, both of them, become disconnected from the masculine structures of the world and cannot come into themselves as men. Let me share a little bit about how that worked in my own life. I have one story of overwhelming joy with my father that has forever stuck with me. I had this uh, deep fear in the fifth and sixth grade that when he was gone at work or gone to run an errand, that he was going to have a car accident and never come home. And it was this fear of his, him dying, and, and, I, and I didn't want that. And I had this moment where I remember clearly him coming home one day, and I had this fear really deep down inside of me that day. And I was talking to my grandmother who was there. And as he came home, I distinctly remember the sound of his car coming up the driveway and this tremendous just bolt of joy just leaping up inside of me and then running to the door and seeing him come up the steps and seeing his face. And he was home. And somehow having him there was the security and the stability that I needed as a boy. Now, some may write this off as classic anxiety separation. But for me, it was a moment of feeling joy in my father's presence. Sadly, that experience was not the norm. Most of what I experienced from my father was his absence. And that absence grew on me in my teenage years until I became very disenfranchised with my dad, actually very angry with him. Most of what I got at that time, as I remember, was simply silence or lectures. And I clearly remember one other story, so different from my story as a boy in the sixth grade. When he walked into my room and had my report card, and on it I remember clearly there were a couple of A's, several B's and a C. And I remember for about five minutes he began to scold and criticize me for the C and even the B's, saying nothing about the A's. 
And I can remember at that point exploding in rage at my father. And the rage almost scared me how angry I was at him. That type of anger persisted until I left for college. And I remember driving out of the driveway one day as I left for my sophomore year in college thinking, you know, I'm leaving my father and maybe I won't ever have to come back. Now, the story of my father certainly has a number of redemptive moments since then. But I experienced my father then as a silent father, one who simply could not be a guide to me in the masculinity. I'm Bill Dalvo, and this is Heroic, a podcast about the surprising path to true manhood. The topic for this episode deals with how our fathers serve as heroic guides, and we'll be talking with Barnabas Piper. He is the marketing leader for B&H Academic and also the co-host of the popular podcast, The Happy Rant and The Table of Malcontents. Barnabas has written three books, including his most recent, The Curious Christian, and is working on his next one, along with a new Bible study with Lifeway. He writes regularly for multiple publications and at BarnabasPiper.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at BarnabasPiper. He is a father of two wonderful girls and lives in the Nashville area. As we discuss fatherhood, Barnabas and I will answer some of these questions. What were some important memories with our fathers? How are our fathers good dads? How do they disappoint us? What are some ways we have tried to be good dads? How have we perhaps failed? What are some of the things you've longed for in terms of connecting with your father? And what is the role of a father in the Christian faith? Barnabas is insightful and witty. We talk about his relationship with his father, the well-known pastor John Piper, but I also learned a lot about his experiences that have shaped how he is a father today. Thanks, Barnabas, for being with us today. Um, Let's start with uh, this question for you. Um, Can you think about a couple of anecdotes or maybe just sort of general patterns uh, with your own father, maybe a positive one and a negative one? Yeah, when I, when I think about the, especially the positive side of my dad's presence, it was, it was the way he consistently carved out time to do normal father-son things. And it wasn't always a lot of time, but he was, he was a pastor of a church that grew throughout my lifetime. He traveled to do speaking and writing. So he, he could have easily been too busy to spend much time with us, his kids. I have three older brothers and a younger sister. But it was consistent throughout my childhood that after dinner, um, he would take 30 minutes or 60 minutes to just play with us. So if the weather was bad outside, I grew up in Minnesota, so it was very bad for half the year. Um, there, it, would be, it could be board games, it could be reading with us, it could be wrestling matches, which included you know dislocating the occasional <laughs> arm and maybe a concussion or two. All, all, of part, which, of the fu- all part of the fun. I was going to say, all of which speaks having a good time. Or if the weather was good, I mean, backyard soccer games and wiffle ball games and football games and taking me to the park to hit me ground balls because I loved baseball. And so just those things. And it, this isn't to paint things in an idyllic manner, but just his consistency in doing normal right. father-son fun things or father-child yeah. fun things. And, were, and that's important. That's yeah. an active engagement. Yeah, those, is, those things – speak much more loudly to me than his than his ministry side of things you know the the public ministry the writing the speaking that all felt like it was for other people right and ground balls were for me you know and and wiffle ball was for me and wrestling and whatever else like card games those things were for me and my siblings and so those are 
those are things that have left an impression on me just as I think about parenting as well. I, you know, being a professional success matters nothing to my kids, but, you know, reading stories to them does. Um, so and the, the, on the negative side or the things that, that have left maybe a void, it was while he excelled at some of those normal things, there was a gap in the, the just the relational connection, especially as I went through, you know, adolescence. So middle school, high school, my personal life was very separate from him. Right. So he was still engaged time-wise. He made he made it to all my football games and my baseball games, and he was a presence. But there was very little conversation in a normal relational way about about the struggles, whether it's struggles of faith or struggles with girls or just any of the things that a high school boy right. deals with. Yes. You know, drama with friends or teachers who are jerks or you know just any of those things that weigh emotionally. And for a high schooler, everything is emotional. Everything, so, yes. Um, and then so there was a there was a disconnect there, and I've talked to him about it since then, and he he recognizes that in retrospect and has expressed sorrow and wishes that he could have done that. And and I see him, my sister's significantly younger than me, and he was better with her than he was with me, which I I find really encouraging. But that that dearth of just sort of how are you conversation yeah. is something that that he and I both felt feel as a void. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And. And that is not atypical with fathers and sons because those those inner things are just they're hard conversations for dads boy, to even know how yeah. to bring up sometimes. And teenage boys are hard to talk to. I mean, it's hard to get a teenage boy to say how are you, you know, yeah. fine, and <laughs> to get them beyond that point is, is not easy, yes. especially as yep. a dad. Yep, yep, very true, very true. Let's let's give a little context. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about our own father's story yeah. and what that was. I've mentioned a little bit. My father was. Uh, basically a silent father just didn't know how to engage his children and really speak into their lives and uh, as I found out later his own father was a very kind of reclusive character and um, read two hours every night didn't know how to engage my own father my father loved hunting and my grandfather simply didn't do anything like that so and then I found out my grandfather also had a very silent father didn't talk to him so I'm four generations of silent men and so when when i understood that it really helped me have a lot of compassion for my own Mm -hmm. father to understand his story and how it impacted me so talk about the context with your own story with your father yeah it's interesting to hear you say fourth generation of silent fathers because um my my dad was either a third or fourth generation minister in some capacity and so his father was a traveling evangelist in the era the you know kind of early and mid well mid 20th century of you know tent meetings and revivals, and so he would spend six months. This is my grandfather would spend six months of the year on the road, um, preaching elsewhere, and so six months out of the year, my dad and his sister were raised by their mom um, exclusively because dad was right. was on Gone. the road, yep. and so he was his his dad was a loving father um, and you know a pretty a pretty bold presence when he was home, but there's just a there's a there's a time gap there and a, and a physical distance gap there, and I think, I you know I can see some of that same so the impact of that in my dad's life where public ministry, um, I don't know that it superseded family but there was an element of comfort there and an element of distance there from the personal relational just sort of presence at home. Um, his mother was a very strong woman who who, who ran the house well yeah. and parented well and 
I would describe my mom in a very similar way. I think they had different personalities, but in terms of those traits, they were similar. And my and, mother was that way too, very and, much that way. Yeah, and so you know, you kind of see these patterns coming down. And so, I mean, for me, as I as I look at that, I I think about it, and I think I you know I want to be conscientious that anything that I do whether it's publicly or just outside of the home. So whether I'm writing or podcasting or anything I do in my professional or ministerial life, that I don't want that to be so separate from my kids or to matter more, uh, you know, than, than my relationship with them. And I don't think that my grandfather or my father saw it that way. I think it just sort of like gravitationally rolled that direction. Right. It it just sort of um, they they just sort of did it almost because that right. was a pattern handed down. To yeah. Them. yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't know that they were introspective enough in those times to to even recognize that about right. themselves. Right. Let's let's turn the corner and just talk a little bit about we're both fathers. Uh, so let's flip it around this way. Uh, how are and you have th- two daughters? Two daughters. Two daughters. Yep. Interesting. I have two daughters. They're they're grown now, but. Talk about our own experience of trying to be a father who is, and we don't have sons, but mm-hmm. the same, a lot of the same patterns hold for our daughters, to really affirm them and engage yes. them as heroic gods. What have you learned being a dad about that? Yeah, I think, I think with raising daughters and raising sons, there's, there's a similarity there in that the affirmation from the father is, I mean, that's the bedrock on which uh, so much confidence and identity and decision-making is built. Um, and so especially just looking around at a society that there's there's so much fluidity. I mean, there's there's everything from moral fluidity and gender fluidity and just sort of do whatever right. you want fluidity right. that I, I want my children to have confidence based on based on profoundly true things, biblical things that comes from me. So they need to see me have it and then they need to see me express it and affirm it in them. So everything from always telling them that I love them, no matter how, you know, kind of no matter how their behavior is, so that there's never a sense of earning my affection. Right. A Tell- love, for, love for performance. Right. Yes. Telling, telling them that I'm proud of them for, for being, yeah. not for doing, you know. Yeah. So if they get, you mentioned, um, you mentioned in, in the story that you told about the, uh, the report card, I've caught myself you know, honing in on the one grade that I wish they would improve instead of the five grades that they, sh- that they should be really yep. proud of. Yep. And so, you know, trying to be proud of them for how they interact with their friends, when they are kind, those kinds of things that are character traits, not performance t- traits, so that, so that they become the kind of person that they ought to be instead of trying to achieve some arbitrary set of standards. Right, right. Yeah, and I've certainly learned that too. One of the things that I've, I've learned early on is there's a huge difference a son or daughter feels when you say you, you did a great job, uh, you know, in the game today, mm-hmm. or you did a great job on the test. It's, that's that's good, but what's really they need to hear over and over again is, "I'm so glad you're my son. Yeah. I'm so glad you're my daughter." Yeah, I, that's a huge. That's about identity. I enjoy that's about spending being. time with you guys. Yeah, I just enjoy yeah. being with you. Right. I mean, that just that just opens so many windows of um, care and concern really opens the windows from to understand the Lord as Father. Right. Yeah, I, I think the one thing is, I mean, this is raising daughters, this is different, but I think if you're raising sons, you're trying to raise them to be somebody who's worth marrying. If you're raising daughters, you're trying to show them what somebody worth being in a relationship with is like. And so I, I feel a, a responsibility to to be a person of the kind of character and the kind of respect and who treats them with the kind of dignity 
that they won't settle for for something lame. And yeah. there are plenty of lame guys in the world. Um, so there's there's that aspect as well as trying to trying to set the bar of quality of manhood, I guess, is yes. for, for for lack of a better term. Well said. Well said. Let's let's flip it around back to our fathers for a second. Um, so you you spoke about your father really trying to engage you in those playing, you know, after uh, after dinner, and talk a little bit about if you remember any sort of are there any words that your father said to you in terms of affirmation that have really stuck with you even as you've been even as you've grown up? It might be a faulty memory, but my my recollect or it might be that my dad has has improved over the years, which one of my favorite things about him is that in his early 70s he's still he's still trying hard to get better as a dad. You know, he hasn't he hasn't mailed it in and just sort of been like I am who I am. Um what I recall as a child is is just the feeling of being praised. You know, so I was the youngest of the boys, which means in any athletic competition, I was the least likely to do something good. I usually just got pummeled. Um, <laughs> so when I succeeded or when he joined my team to beat up on my brothers right. um, and, and there was – he would – just the celebration of success alongside him. I remember those. I remember those feelings. Just the feeling, kind of, I don't know, whole or just the excitement of it. Um, just getting something from your dad like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I remember a couple different times, you know, an award ceremony at school or different things where he he did what we were talking about just a moment ago, where he sort of set aside the award and he said, "That's great, and I'm really glad that you did that, but I'm proud of you for." this and it was more character trait oriented or I'm glad you're my son and there wasn't a wealth of those things but those stand out they he's do. he's more verbal that way now that I'm an adult and my brothers are adults than he was when we were kids or maybe I just remember it better now but yeah. it, it it stands out more to me in the last say 10 years than it did when I was a child yeah very much yeah and and part of that is too as i've learned it's a bit generational mm-hmm. to you know my father's learned to affirm me much later on saying that i love you son whereas the, he just couldn't say that growing up when i was in my uh, boyhood years but now i see that more and more very much kind of i've seen a progression in him and he's termed uh as he's grown up as we've grown up together so talk a little bit about um just funny things you remember from your father <laughs> you know just something yeah. silly yeah, I think it, two things stand out to me. One is that uh, my dad is is cheap. I mean, he will squeeze two pennies out of one penny. Just it, it's he uh, he still to this day wears the same sport coat to every speaking engagement, and when it wears out, he replaces it with the same sport coat. Or should say, my mom replaces it with <laughs> yeah, the same know, sport. He doesn't shop. She finally puts down the, um, the hammer and says, "No more." Yeah, I was discussing with, I think it was one of my siblings' gift ideas for him at one point, and he's an impossible guy. He doesn't want anything. He, yeah. And he, he owns all the books that he wants, and nothing else really matters clothing-wise, material-wise. And so like, we could get him some new dress shirts. And so they were kind of looking at, you know, flashier, classier things. And I said, no, find the ugliest shirt you can buy. So we went with, like, earth-toned, you know, it's like mud-colored. <laughs> and we give them to him. And he, his eyes just light up. He goes, these are perfect. So he just... He's he's cheap and he doesn't care about uh, he doesn't care about earthly things in that way. The other thing that stands out that's hilarious is how fiercely competitive he was. So I mentioned earlier, you know, playing sports in the backyard. He he never let us win that I recall. 
Uh, he always tried to win. There were multiple, uh, there were stitches and broken bones and various other things just from playing hard. But then when he was cheering at our game, so I played football all the way through high school. My brothers were soccer players. Uh, he got a yellow card at one of my brother's soccer games from the sideline for yelling, for berating the refs so uh, so aggressively. And if you ask him about it today, he'll just shrug and go, "That was a really bad ref." <laughs> I mean, he just he won't back down. He doesn't apologize. He's not embarrassed. He's just that that guy was a clown, and uh, and he was always the loudest voice at football games. So there was just there was an intensity to to him that was in those instances was really fun. Now, if we crossed him, uh, there was. The disciplinary side of that intensity was less fun, but on the competitive side, it was real fun. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to talking about redemption with our fathers, and I want to pick up and tell a little bit about my own story here. Um, one of the signs of the Messiah's coming, as it says in the book of Malachi, is there's going to be healing between the fathers and the sons. And how have we experienced that healing as sons from our fathers? And you've spoken a little bit about that already. I want to speak to that. Um, and put it in this context, my father's 93 years old. He's in a retirement a center. I go and see him and eat dinner with him, spend time with him. And after I uh, talk to him and we say goodbye, I always tell him I love him and kiss him. And amazingly, I was with him just last week and we were praying together. And this is very unusual for him. He reached over because he's not a touchy guy. He reached over and grabbed my hand. It was like this longing for connection that he's wanted to have as a father to a son that just kind of, it, it so surprised me and just so uh, uh, softened me to see you know, that man, that who he really is inside. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that redemption over the years as I've come to understand kind of some of his story and as I've talked out some of my own anger with him growing up, and we've had those kind of hard discussions. And, and worked through them. And, and my relationship with my father is certainly not perfect and there's a lot to be left to be desired, but there's something in it that I'm able to, to move on with life. Right. So talk about that in your own context. Yeah, I, my relationship with my dad um, was never, I mean, there was never a, a, a severe brokenness. I know that there are, there are lots of people who are estranged from their fathers or, I mean, there are very absent fathers or there's awful fathers in various categories. And I, that was never the case. There was kind of an emotional and relational distance. And a lot of that had to do with some of what I talked about earlier in terms yes. of his his own sort of just lack of ability to engage at the how are you level of relationship. That the hard just, level. Yeah, the, the close emotional relational side of things. Um, but the other side of that is, and I can say this on a podcast willingly because I've talked through this with him and he's addressed some of it publicly to, you know, just sort of in talking, kind of giving his, his story of, of growing as a parent or discovering his failures. There's a, there's a, he, he is a, a man of profound convictions, um, theological convictions and biblical convictions. And those are the shape, the, the defining shape of his life. And if you reside outside of those convictions, whether, I mean, it could be, there, there are minor things, and then there, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus at all, there are, there's sort of gradations of separation. But over the years, I've kind of been further away and closer to some of those convictions, and that has created a challenge, as it has for my siblings as well, because 
because he's just a train running down the tracks. His convictions are very, very firm. Um, and so it took until I developed a keen sense of my identity in Christ to be able to look at his convictions, even some things that we differ on, whether it's a particular theological point or a lifestyle issue or whatever it is, and just say, this is this does not need to be a, a relational dividing point, and he's not going to change either. And so there was an element for me of just sort of setting down those things and not yeah. fighting that, yeah. where I've, there's just a greater sense of peace and relational connection over the last several years than there were maybe up through my mid-20s, um, where I was just butting up against our differences. Um, then the flip side of that is he's not a stubborn old man who refuses to acknowledge relational breakdowns. Now, while he has a hard time changing, like we all do, um, and I think probably gets harder with age, it does. <laughs> he really wants to be a good dad. Yeah. And so he he makes efforts, yeah. you know. One of the things that frustrated me for a long time was just everything was so serious because he was a man of conviction. And I was like, we don't have fun. Like, we don't have fun together. And uh, and he began to slowly shift. And so now there's like we will – when I visit town, we go to movies together. And he's great at playing with the grandkids. He's a wonderful grandfather. And – you know, he'll text me during a football game, whether it's a national championship game or something he knows we're both watching and just sort of comment on plays. And he knows that like this is a point of connection with me. And those are little things, but they're little things that, that show that this gap that had existed is, is closing or has been bridged. Um, and most significantly to me, it shows that he is intentionally investing in being a father, not just sort of skating to his finish line and, and, you know, what's done is done. Right. And I think that's important to note what our fathers are trying to do to change as we engage being a father and note the mistakes that we have with our own right. children because we do make them and then, and then learning for us ourselves to keep growing in that trajectory of being like the father right. in that. And we're all on that journey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- thinking about my my future as a father, um, I do. I mean, I take notes from him and think, I mean, there are definitely things I look at and I go, I would like to do that better than he did because I think all of us do that with our parents. And when we're younger, we say we're never going to be like that. <laughs> yeah, and then we find out we're that. exactly <laughs> like that. But there are things I want to do better and there are things I want to emulate. And his his consistent effort to improve is a thing I look at and I go, I don't, I don't want to run out of that. I don't want to get to the place where I'm just like, I, I give up. Right. This is, this is what I am because I see other people do that. They just sort of, they, they stop investing, stop trying. And you know, he's 70 something, 73 and still doing that. And I go, okay, well in 40 years, I'd like to be doing the same thing. This has been Heroic. Join us for the next episode as we discuss how our heroes inform how we pursue our goals and ambitions, and what happens when those achievements leave us unfulfilled. If you're enjoying the Heroic Podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend who might want to listen in. Rating and word of mouth are the best ways to get the word out. You might also like my book, Heroic, The Surprising Path to True Manhood. Heroic will give you what you need to take the journey to become a man. 
It will help you find your guide for the journey, own your true identity, and discover your quest. This is how we become truly heroic. Go to heroicbook.com for more information and to order a copy. That's heroicbook.com.